0: Thank you for being here today. If you're in our overflow room, or if you're watching us online right now, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, today is a little bit different service. If you're a regular here, um, we are pushing Paul's in our series called Rule Number One uh, to do something that's um, very vital in the life of the church and something I think you'll enjoy um, a good bit. So I have a friend named Tom Rainer who started a company called Church Answers. Uh, they minister to churches and to pastors all over our country and even throughout the world. And several years ago, he sent uh, an email out to all these pastors and ministers, and he said, tell me about the most bizarre church fight that you've ever witnessed. Now, later he wrote an article, and in the article he said there were literally hundreds of stories of bizarre, ridiculous church fights. I mean, some were quite sad, some were unbelievable, some were incredibly divisive, but he wrote an article, and he included his 25 favorite stories of church fights. This morning, I want to highlight five of those church fights. The first— was a church fight over the appropriate length of the pastor's beard. Now, I have looked through the Bible, and I cannot find a single scripture that speaks to what the appropriate length of a pastor's beard should be. However, I think it's safe to say that it should be shorter than these guys. (laughs) Now, for all you millennials, this is a band known as ZZ Top. Uh, They were big back in the 80s. In the first service, I made the mistake of saying they're now playing the nursing home circuit, to which one of our tech guys, who is a stickler for accuracy, texted me in between services and let me know, one of those guys is not playing anywhere right now, (laughs) that he died last year. Uh, A story that I missed because I canceled my subscription to Rolling Stone magazine. That's a joke, I don't subscribe, (laughs) never have to Rolling Stone. Okay, number two, a heated argument over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Who took that picture of Jesus? I want to know how they got a picture of Jesus. Number three, a family threatened to leave the church because they served cran grape juice during the Lord's Supper instead of grape juice. I would hate to break it to that family, but Jesus actually served wine during the first Lord's Supper, but that fight would probably make their heads explode, so I'll leave that one alone. Number four, a major fight over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. And say, I thought it was red. This whole time, (laughs) turns out it's black. And then number five. A long, heated discussion in a business meeting over using the term pot blessing instead of potluck for the church dinner. Now, this one takes a little bit of explanation, but somebody Got their theological underwear all wadded up because, according to the Bible there 's no such thing as luck. God is sovereign over everything they didn 't like using the term pot luck instead we ought to instead instead we ought to say pot blessing. So in the business meeting, there were sides, some people said pot blessing, other people said that 's confusing. no one will know what that means. We ought to stay with pot luck. There was this major fight to which I say, good luck solving that one. If you've been in church any length of time, likely you have seen fights. Hopefully none like this, but you have seen people fighting in church. Do not let that fact bother you. Anytime you are part of an organization or a group where people care about one another, there will be fights. You fight in your family. You and your spouse fight. The reason you fight is because you love and you care for one another. If you did not care about each other, you would not fight. Fights in churches should be expected. However, early in the establishment of this organization called the church, God gave to the the church a mechanism to prevent these fights from ever rising to the level, level that they hinder the ministry of the church. We call this mechanism the deacon ministry. Now, if you grew up in church, you've likely heard of deacons before, but maybe you didn't know what deacons did. When I grew up in church, I thought deacons, their one job was to take up money in the church. They would pass the offering plate, so I assumed that a deacon was someone who was good at handling money or good at shaking people down for money because all I ever saw was them dealing with money. It was only later when I studied God's Word that I was able to see the true reason that God established the deacon ministry. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 6. This is the passage that Ryan read earlier. Let me just set this up for you. Acts was written by Luke. Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke. That was volume one of what he wrote, volume two is Acts, which tells the story of the church. Luke tells the story of Jesus. Acts tells the story of the early church. And when Acts begins, you have the resurrected Jesus before he ascended into heaven, telling his followers to go to Jerusalem and to wait. At that point, there were about 120 men and women who were following Jesus. They go to the city of Jerusalem. They wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The Holy Spirit does at an event called Pentecost. And that day, the church grew exponentially. It went from 120 followers of Christ to seemingly overnight, thousands and thousands of people following Christ. This whole Jesus movement just exploded, so much so that both government officials and Jewish religious leaders took note of how much it had spread and tried to shut it down. Uh, They persecuted the leaders. uh, They even arrested the leaders. They tried everything they could to shut down the church. But the more they tried, the more these outside forces came against the church, the more it grew. More and more people came to faith in Christ. Nothing from the outside could stop this movement. But then suddenly there was was a force from within the church that threatened to shut the whole thing down. This was the crisis they faced, and the crisis was disunity. Nothing from outside the the church could stop the church, but suddenly an internal fight threatened to stop the ministry of the church. Look back at verse 1. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So several things were going on here. In that day, you had two groups living in Jerusalem. You had the Hebraic Jews. Those were those Jews who were uh, born in Israel. They were native to Israel. They'd spent their whole lives in Israel. And you had Grecian Jews who had moved to Israel from some other part of the Roman Empire. They spoke some other language besides Hebrew or Aramaic. Culturally, they were Greek, but religiously, they were Jewish. And in that day, as people got older, if they were Jewish... They would move to Israel so they could die in their spiritual homeland and be buried there. And so within the city of Jerusalem, you had both Hebraic Jews and Grecian Jews. Although they were all Jewish, they were culturally very different. Spoke different languages, came from different cultural backgrounds. They organically did not mesh together. However, people from both of these groups, men and women, from both of these groups heard the gospel message, responded to the gospel, and they all became part of the church. So you have in the church Jews who were Greek in background and Jews who were Hebrew in background. The other thing going on here is that in that day, there was no such thing as Social Security. If you were poor, if you were older— The only thing you had to rely on was the help of friends and family. In fact, in that day, the best retirement plan was to have lots and lots of children and just hope that some of those children loved you and were responsible enough to care for you in your old age. Uh, There was no safety net. There was no social security check that would come every month. And so within the Jewish religious community— Those ladies who were widows, which was very common because men would die sometimes early. These ladies who were widows and could not provide them for themselves would become part of a system where they would get one meal a day, at least one meal a day so that they could survive, so that they would have nourishment. They would become part of this daily distribution of food. But then when they became followers of Christ, they were removed from that Jewish system And it became the responsibility of the church to provide for their daily meals. Evidently, what happened here, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly why it happened, the church, which was made up primarily of Jews who were native to Israel, provided food for the Hebrew widows, but they had overlooked the Greek widows. And this caused a problem. Luke doesn't tell us why it happened, but he's very clear that the entire Greek community was furious over this. And it caused this division in the church, and the battle lines had been drawn. There were the Hebrew Christians, there were the Greek Christians, and there was a line in the middle. And these two groups were furious with one another, and the Greeks especially, they were mad because their widows were overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was this division in the church. Hebrews versus Greeks. It's like Democrats versus Republicans. It was the Hatfields versus the McCoys. It it was the PGA Tour versus the Live Tour. Uh, The Braves fans versus the rest of the world who don't know no better. It was that kind of division in the church. And here was the danger of this division. The danger was that they would face distraction. Look at verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. There were two forms of distraction here. One is, if the church was divided, if they spent all of their time arguing over the fact that some widows were not getting food while others were, the church would not continue the mission of reaching Jerusalem and Judea and the rest of the world with the gospel of Christ. They would become so internally focused that they would not externally look for the, to those who needed to hear the gospel. And in fact, this is, if you're reading Acts a turning point in Acts. And if you don't know the rest of the story, you get to this point in Acts and you realize that the whole deal could shut down right here. You and I would not be here today if this had not turned out the right way. If this had gone south, the whole Jesus movement would have stopped and would have died right there in Jerusalem. There was a major distraction the church faced from inter- with this internal fighting that would distract them from their external focus. The second distraction is exactly what Luke points out here. The 12 apostles were made aware of this problem, but they realized that they could not be the ones to solve the problem. They had been with Jesus while he walked on this earth. They had listened to him teach for approximately three years, and their job was now to lead and teach the church. And when they're growing so rapidly with thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ, these guys would spend hours every day going from home to home or in the temple teaching people the truths that had been taught to them from Christ. And if they then took on this job of making sure that all the widows received their daily distribution of food, that they would not then be able to teach the Word of God to all of these new believers who were coming to Christ— So they knew that the situation needed to be solved. They also knew that they were not the ones who needed to solve it. So they came up with a solution. The solution they came up with was deacons. Look at verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now the word deacon is not used in this passage. However, it is universally agreed upon that this was the establishment of the first deacons. And here's what the apostles knew. There were two things, one, that this was not primarily a food issue. This was primarily a spiritual issue. They said to the church, appoint seven men who were known to be full of the Spirit. In other words, appoint seven men who are spiritually deep individuals. If this was just a food issue, they would not need to appoint men who are full of the Spirit. They could have appointed anybody to do the job. They could have been from outside the church. They didn't need to be followers of Christ. If it was just get the food delivered, uh, getting food delivered issue, they could have paid for it to be done. They could have hired some ancient DoorDash to make sure that it happened every every day. But they understood that this was not primarily a need to get food distributed, that it was primarily a spiritual issue. The second thing that they wanted to do was not just to solve this particular issue, but to make sure that whenever future issues came up that they had in place a group of men who could tackle the issue and solve it before this fight rose to the level that it divided the church. And so they called on the church to appoint these seven men who are full of the Spirit. Ryan read that passage earlier. There was Stephen. We know a fair amount about Stephen because just a little Time after this, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. He refused to back down when he was ordered to deny his faith in Christ. And so he died uh, because of his faith in Christ, becoming the first martyr of the church. We know virtually nothing about any of the other men. There was Nicholas, who it says was a convert to Judaism, who was from Antioch, from a Greek area. But other than that, we know nothing about these other men except for the fact that that they were full of the Spirit, that these guys were spiritual leaders in the church. So their first task they faced was how to solve this issue. There's a divide in the church. Greeks are mad at the Hebrews. In turn, the Hebrews are mad at the Greeks. You guys need to heal the division that exists between these two groups in the church. So here's how I imagine it happened. Nicholas, for example goes to a Greek widow's home. He walks in. He has the daily distribution of food for her. And the moment he walks in, he gets an earful about time you showed up, about time somebody showed up. It's been weeks and I've not gotten any food, but all the Jewish widows, they've been fed. Yet us who are Greek widows, we have to sit here day after day after day waiting on food. No one has taken care of us. No one cares about our needs. And for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, Nicholas just gets an earful about how awful the apostles have been, about how awful the Jewish community has been to her. And she's come to faith in Christ and she's part of the church, yet she's treated lesser than and she's not gotten her daily distribution of food. And Nicholas sits and he patiently listens to this woman tell her story. And then once she's done, he says, I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry. And and the apostles want you to know that they are truly sorry for this oversight. And and I'm now the one that's in charge of bringing your food. And if for some reason your food is ever missed, there's a day that goes by and you don't get food. You send someone to find me and I will make sure that you get your food. And, And before I leave, is there anything that I can be praying for you about? Is there any way that I can pray for any needs that you have? And then he would pray with this woman. And by the time Nicholas left, not only had this woman received her food, but as well, her heart had been changed toward the Jewish community, toward the apostles, towards the other leaders in the church. And through his service of food, not only was a practical need of food met, But this divide that existed in the church was suddenly healed. And the church came back together. And here was a result. Verse 7, the result was more disciples. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Do not miss the importance of this verse. The church hit this roadblock. They were divided. The ministry was threatened to be shut down. They worked through this. They found unity. And as a result, the Word of God spread rapidly. The number of disciples grew rapidly and... A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Jewish priests who served as leaders in the synagogue. They saw how the church healed this problem. It struck some chord in them and they became followers of of Christ. This is a turning point in the book of Acts where the church did not allow this division to keep them from continuing the ministry. They solved this particular issue and they solved it through the establishment of a ministry that we call the deacon ministry. People ask me all the time, hey, what do deacons do? I, I, I've seen that, you know, we've got deacons or I saw that we're electing these deacons. What is it that deacons do? And here is my very simple answer. The role of a deacon is to protect the unity of the church. Now, they do this most often through serving. They find some need and they meet that need before that need ever rises to the level of causing division in the church. They do it through serving. But remember, the church established deacons primarily not because there was a need, but because there was a fight. And they established deacons to heal this divide. And so when people ask me, why do we have deacons? It is to serve as guard dogs protecting the unity of the church. I've served as pastor here for the last 15 years. And over 15 years, the church has grown fairly significantly. And so I'll go to meetings of other pastors and they'll say, hey, tell me what's the key to your growth? And I will always want to answer good preaching It's why we have grown, but I realize that is not the case. And one of the answers I always give is our deacons take their role as protectors of the unity of the church very seriously. And whenever there's some problem that arises, some kind of division, some kind of fight that arises, they step in and they meet needs to make sure that that problem never rises to the point that it causes division in the church. And so we have a group of deacons, and they see it as their role to step in when there are complaints about who's getting fed and who's not getting fed, or to step in when there's a fight over what kind of juice should be served at the Lord's Supper, or to step in when someone is is arguing about which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. They step in and solve these issues, not just to meet a need, but to protect the unity of the church. This morning we have the great privilege and honor of ordaining four men into this deacon ministry. I'm going to pray and then ask you to turn your attention to the screens to see the testimonies of these four individuals. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for what uh, you led those apostles to establish early in the life of the church, uh, to protect the unity of the church, to keep the church focused. Uh, on the mission that you had for them. And Father, we sit here today as recipients uh, of that wisdom, as the church continued to spread uh, throughout uh, Israel, throughout the Roman Empire, um, and, and even down into our world today. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we pray for these men who are stepping into this role, that you would protect them, that you'd give them wisdom as they faithfully serve you. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen.
1: My name's is Philip Sweisgood. I came to faith at a fairly young age. I think I was seven or eight years old. And I vividly remember I was in this church in South Georgia one night, and the pastor essentially walked through Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which says essentially, For by grace we've been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not works, so that no man can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And hearing that, even at such a young age, it really made a lot of sense to me that my salvation is through repentance and grace and not by what I've done. It's not something that I've earned, but these, these actual good works, they're a byproduct of my salvation. And even at a young age, that really made a lot of sense to me and it really clicked home. And that's
2: when I repented and believed for the first time. I was raised in the church and I was accepted Jesus and baptized at an early age. So there was never for me not a time when Jesus was not part of my life. Uh, But like a lot of folks do, um, once I got to college, I I didn't really spend a lot of time on Jesus or building my relationship with Jesus, and um, I didn't have a social group that was involved in a church, and I think that um, that happens to a lot of people, um, especially at this day and age. But, you know, I, I met my wife at Mercer, and we dated for a few years, and then we got married, and... We both decided, um, you know, we had both been raised up in churches, and we were both Christians. But we decided that it was it was time, you know, as we began to start a family, to find a church so that we can raise kids, um, and that those kids can have the same Sunday school experiences that we had, and learn the fundamentals about Christianity like we did, and that was very important to us. And um, a couple of years after that, I. Um, I had an experience where I think um, Jesus kind of led me to a turning point. Um, And I had been making some decisions in my life um, that that were having negative consequences. And I was very prideful about myself and my ability to control my life. And the harder I tried to control things, the, the worse the consequences got. And finally, there was just, there was that breaking point where I had to stop. Trying to be in control, and um, and turned to Jesus, and that's when I really got to know Jesus in a personal way. Um, when I started to study and look to and look to the gospel for answers, and not try to get the answers um, out of my own out of my own doing, I really realized that Jesus is not just the one that we thank um, at the dinner table. That Jesus wants to be a constant part of our life. Um, be just in constant prayer and communication and have Jesus there to help guide every decision. And that's, that's really the way um, that we were created to be. And I also found that when you submit to Jesus and, and the way that he wants you to live, um, you get the unconditional love, but you also get the um, unconditional grace. And we talk a lot about grace in this church and grace means, um, it's really, it's, it's benevolence for the undeserving right? It's all of the good things that come from Jesus, and we don't have to do anything to earn it. And that's good because you couldn't earn it. If you had to pay for it, it it would be impossible. And so um, finding that unconditional grace has really um, just entirely changed my relationship with Jesus over the past several years. I grew up in and out
3: of the Catholic Church. Um, I believed in God, but didn't really take it any further from that point growing up as a kid. I moved to Georgia during my college years and it's when i met my now wife katie we went to church with her family you know just about every sunday i started learning more about you know what it was to be a christian and more about jesus and we was actually during our marriage counseling that i was asked the question by our pastor that was doing the marriage counseling when you die do you believe you're going to go to heaven kind of stumped me for just a second and that's you know I sure hope I'm gonna and you know we stopped right there and he prayed and we talked about it and you know at that time I prayed the prayer gave you know my life to Jesus and you know moved forward from there being able to answer the question of when you die are you going to heaven and at that point you know I knew I didn't have a doubt in it that I was. Since then I mean God has been working through my life right now really in me as a person, showing that, you know, to be an example to my family, that, you know, Jesus can be shown through me to my family and my kids. Um, I'm thankful that God has led us here to Northway Church. You know, we're feel loved and cared about in every aspect of life.
4: I didn't grow up in a traditional Christian home, um, but I worked through God's sovereignty really showed a lot in my life. Um, so I went to a Christian school and that's where I went and I I met Jesus there. Um, Through God's sovereignty as well there's also been opportunities for me to have really good foundational relationships with people that I'm close to and with me not growing up in a Christian home it was it was difficult to live the life um, but I, I I fully, fully believe that God works through anybody that you come in contact with. What I've seen God do through those people that were in my life that weren't necessarily my immediate family has just been phenomenal. Um, so I came to know God at at my school. Um, it was actually at a, I guess, a revival, so to speak. Of They had an invitation and I, I accepted the Lord at that point in time. Um, and since then, I've seen God work in so many crazy ways. I've had, I've had instances where I, I strayed away, just like most. Um, and my, my faith, I don't think, started on one particular day. And it's grown every day since then. And that's, that's what I feel like is just the most impactful of how, how God's really really shown himself through any situation of mine. I've had situations that weren't great. Um, I've had situations that were, but looking back, I can see God's hand in the whole thing and I, I'm just so I'm just so encouraged and so you know fulfilled of what he's going to do next what what will what will be the next thing and and I think every day that i I grow closer to him is a day that prepares me for whatever that is. My wife and I we had our two kids that's At each one of their births, that was one of the most close feeling I had to God because I had zero control. Um, The other thing that I really, really want to to show God's sovereignty through my life is where I've had instances of just being down in dumps, like thinking, oh, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But at the end of the day, Jesus did that for me. I've, you have said that, you know, we live each day imperfectly, but Jesus has already lived it perfectly for us. So if we just continue to focus on him, we will continue to grow the kingdom. And I, I think that that's just, that's been my kind of life story of Jesus, is he's always come through, even in the good and the bad, and just showed me His grace and His sovereignty through the whole thing. My wife Jessica and I, we've been leading a home team now for about
1: two years now, and it's really been a wonderful thing. We started out uh, five or six years ago, we were at a different church. The doctrine was great, the worship was great. The one thing was we didn't really have a community. I remember sitting in Sunday school one night and looking around the room and literally thinking, I don't know the names of half the people in here. And now it's such a contrast to go from that, to go to a home team to where not only do, I know the people in the home team, but they're some of our absolute best friends. These are people that we do life with each and every week. If there are prayer requests, we pray with them. There've been difficult seasons of life that we've walked through these people with. And it's just really been such a blessing. It's been a fantastic thing. And it's also an important reminder to be mindful of the people in your life that might not have a church home and that might be a good fit for Northway and to be intentional about inviting them to church because you never
2: know exactly where these people might be in their walk with Christ. After we joined Northway, um, I remember there was a day when uh, the worship leader at the time, she um, made an appeal for volunteers. She said that we need volunteers to join tech and media to help with sound and to help with running lyrics and putting lyrics on screens and stuff like that. I have a bit of a background in that. I've I've worked in that kind of stuff before and I said, well, that sounds like something that I could do. And so I took the opportunity and I did that. And and in getting involved with the worship team, um it's not just, you know, mixing sound or putting lyrics on screens. It's it's really about glorifying God. And I didn't realize exactly how prayerful the worship team is, but um Everything that they do is, is just for the glorification of God. And then, you know, as I got more involved in a home team and meeting people in the church that were spending just loads of time, hours and hours of their own time, um, not, not for the glorification of themselves at all, but just to advance the kingdom. And it's been really inspiring to see these people who just selflessly give time and energy uh, over to God.
3: Uh, I currently serve as a volunteer for the safety team. Um, When we first came to Northway, I served in the preschool ministry. And from preschool ministry, I went to kids ministry. Um, Kids ministry to me had the most impact in my life. I was able to see the actual fruits of Jesus and the spirit, you know, blossom in the kids. And it was great to be able to see the kids that you interacted with and taught each Sunday to you know, eventually accept Jesus, and some of them follow through with baptism.
4: I've been involved in all kinds of the ministries. Um, I've been in, I've served on the finance team, I've served at students, I've served at kids. Um, my wife serves in the college ministry, which kind of bleeds over, into I serve in the college ministry. Um, and she also serves in the nursery. Um, I think that one of the biggest things about serving here at Northway is it gets you connected. Um, through, through my experiences in other churches, being connected is the most important part of your life at a church. Um, anybody can come into a church and be a number, but if you know people there that are holding you accountable, and you're holding others accountable for certain instances, then it's it's going to make a huge impact on your walk with God, um, and. Whenever I started to serve, I started initially in the kids' ministry. Um, Huge leap of faith for me. Um, I reached out to Phil, and I just said, use me where you want me. And he said, well, I need you in kids. And I was like, okay, well, that wouldn't be my first choice. However, I I asked, and you have given. Um, So it was a huge step. Um, And I've seen this in each one of my ministries that I've been in is each time there's a, a nervous energy that comes along with volunteering initially. But again, God's sovereignty comes back and I feel more blessed than anybody that I've served because I think serving is one of the things that we're called to do biblically. And we just, once we make that first initial step, it, it pays back in dividends for your blessings. Um, not necessarily that that's all that it's about, but at the, but at the end of the day, if, if you serving means that you're going to be blessed more, then you being closer to God is definitely where you want to be. It was really an honor to be asked to be a deacon. Um,
1: I was really humbled by that. And you know, Northway has been such a blessing to my wife and I that if this is how the church needs me to serve, I'm happy to do it. I regularly
2: ask God for more opportunities to serve and be involved. And so when the opportunity to become a deacon came up, I was you know very excited to accept it because I think that. Uh, over these past few years of getting close to Jesus and and trying to follow Him as much as possible, He's prepared me for doing more and doing and doing bigger things to advance His kingdom. And so, I'm happy to to come on board and serve as a deacon. The word deacon means to
3: be a servant. I believe first of all that I must serve God. Um, I want to be able to serve the people of the church, be an example show faithfulness and be able to love god's people it means more to me to the title than you know just saying hey i'm a deacon there's more to it than you know just a name It shows um, upstanding moral character shows that you're one of dignity and one who will protect the fellowship and unity of the church
4: the deacon ministry to me is something that i'm not going to take lightly Um, I, I prayed very hard about whether or not it was something that I really wanted to do, um, and the reason is is because I know that in this ministry there's going to be things that are going to come up that, you know, show the good and bad in people. Um, however, I want to make sure that Northway succeeds, and I want to be able to. I, I'm at first I'm very honored to be able to even serve on it but I want to be able to also have have a voice and be able to combine with brothers and say, okay, this is the direction the church is going in and us us be able to lead the church wherever God wants it. And and knowing, knowing that we're going to stand humbly before the Lord and say, if you want it to go there, we want it to lead it. And I think that's the mentality that I really want us to, that I really want to keep as the as a deacon um, is to be able to stand before God and say, all right, God, is this where you want us to go? And I I hope that as a collective group, we can do that and lead Northway into wherever that is. Um, Whether it's, you know, a building expansion that Kevin has talked about or whether it's not building expanding. Um, I I want us to be able to humbly be able to come before God and say, Listen, we're here to serve you and we want to be able to live out whatever mission you have for us.
3: Good morning, church. Um, My name is Wayne Daniel. I serve as the chair of the uh, deacons uh, here at uh, Northway. And we now come to the part of the program where we pray over these candidates. So I would ask the four candidates, along with their wives, to come up and face the congregation. I would also mention that any deacons that are in the um, uh, congregation this morning, uh, whether you're serving uh, actively right now, or where you've served in the past, um, to please stand in reverence of um, this time uh, of uh, ordination, Pastor.
0: Thank you, and um, let me just say again, what an honor it is uh, to serve uh, alongside these guys. And if you want to know about the the uh, future health of the church. Uh, just look at the fact that we have a mixture of ages on our deacon board. Um, these guys are young. We have on our deacon board everywhere from guys in their 20s to guys in their 70s. And for these guys to come alongside each other and serve alongside each other, to learn uh, from older guys, uh, to be able to, uh, to then serve later on is such a great encouragement to me. So again, if you are an active deacon in our church or you have served as a deacon, please stand um, along with us and we are going to pray over these guys and their families. Um, as they're uh, getting ready to serve in the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have to ordain these uh, gentlemen into the deacon ministry. Father, first of all, we thank you for their willingness to serve you in this way. uh, That They love you and they love the church and they want to serve the church in whatever capacity you would have them to serve to see the church advance in her mission. Father, we pray for your blessings over their lives as they serve you in the workplace, um, over their families, uh, Father, over their children, and Lord, that You would grant them wisdom to lead as fathers, as husbands, and wherever You have placed them. Father, we lift up our church and all the decisions that we are facing. We pray for wisdom and guidance that that every step that we take would be in accordance with Your will. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you would you join me in thanking these guys for serving?